I'd like to thank you for inviting me on the show. It's such an honour to be here and I'd just like to say that when I'm not playing Xbox with my mate Thor, I really like to listen to my favourite podcast, Pop Culture Pasta. Pop Culture Pasta. You know, Cody, I, I gotta say, the older I get, I feel more like a fuddy-duddy because um, the fireworks, I'm just not into it. And, and the older I get, I got to say, even it's not that I'm just not into it. I actively get grumpy about it, which I don't want to be grumpy. But I mean, my neighbors were like putting craters in their yard. Yes. Last night, I think <laughs> midnight 30 and like my house is being shook. <laughs> I just don't I don't understand um, but I, I, I find myself getting grumpy for multiple reasons. One, fireworks turns everyone into a dirt bag. Prove me wrong. Um, we wouldn't wake up. Nobody would wake up at, you know, seven in the morning on a Saturday or Sunday and immediately go out into your, into your yard and start causing a ruckus. Nobody would do that. But these same people that wouldn't do that, because they have fireworks, we'll go out and light off an entire package of black cats at seven in the morning on a Sunday. I know that because it happened. It did. Like, and so if they wouldn't do that any other time with any other thing and they do it with fireworks, then fireworks turns you into a dirt pack or Joe dirt pack. If we're being pop culture-ish and I just don't understand it. Like what, what is it about fireworks <laughs> that makes people decide Hey, you know what? I'm just uh, I'm just gonna not think about the people around me when I have these. I woke up and chose violence today. Yeah, um, go for it. I'm here for it. Literally, so someone in this room might have done a mini sermon that <laughs> included like how hard it is to love your neighbor when they're waking you up from your slumber. <laughs> Because of the fireworks. I love that you're with me on this. I literally, so I, I have a lot of reasons. Not only that, but I mean, like, literally we live in a world that has uh, conditions that are sensitive to sound. Mm -hmm. um, we have people that um, are sensitive to, like... Uh, significant flashing lights. Mm -hmm. um, we have people that have fought overseas in combat and have some trauma from it, and fireworks can trigger some stress-related disorders. I've uh, seen it happen. And so, finally, you get the people that save up, like, the whole year who really don't have the financial means to be spending over 1K on fireworks, but then they'll spend over 1K on fireworks, and you're like, oh, come on. There there was a better choice for that money. Yeah, I, that's a big piece of it for me, too. Like, we live in a town um, in one of the poorest sections of Kansas. Yeah. Uh, we live in southeast Kansas that has a lot of poverty, and our little town has... I mean, what's your best guess? Any, any given year, uh, four to seven fireworks tents. 
and and they're usually like something that is just trying to make money some you know it could be a charitable organization it could be um high school athletic teams it could be anything um and i feel a little uneasy and i know that across uh, the country there are church organizations that do this as well and i just happen to feel a little uneasy that it seems like you're you're taking part in this kind of what i would call predatory capitalism Mm-hmm. The same thing that like not although not as earnestly evil as like check cashing places, you're you're it's not that because these people are going to go out and buy fireworks anyways. Yeah, but you're just you're just saying I'm going to go ahead and take part in this, and I guess you could say that for anything that's someone would consider a waste of money. So I'm not really going full. I'm not really fully leaning into this. Yeah, it just makes me uncomfortable. No. I just know that I've known people that literally that $1,000 if spread out through the year, they wouldn't have to go without some meals towards the end of the pay period. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I also really like drones. I want a drone show. (laughs) That's all I really want. Cody, Cody's big on the drone show over the replacing fireworks. Yes. Um, in the long run, you, you get to do a ton of those drone shows yeah. for the initial cost. You can have like uh, kids like actually do the programming so that they do the flight patterns correctly. Um, K State did a workshop in Humboldt one year yeah. and had kids do it. Um, and literally, ah, it's cool. You could go from having this dragon to making the United States flag in literally three seconds. <laughs> yeah. And no one gets third degree burns. Right, right. Well, and I think that's the other thing, too, is knowing that every time I hear one of those big explosions, you're just like, boy, I hope nobody lost an arm. <laughs> I hope nobody lost their hand on that one. Because things happen, accidents happen, and uh, I know I don't even work in the. I'm sure our listeners that work in the medical industry or the emergency rooms, especially, could tell us exactly how much they see from fireworks. Anyways, I know that puts us at risk of sounding like fuddy duddies, but I just, I, I just, I used to love fireworks. Look, listen, I'm not being holier than thou because I've spent tons of money on fireworks as a younger person. And I, I just got grumpy with it as I got older. Now my kids every fourth have to convince me to buy them some fireworks. Cause I'm just like, Oh really? <laughs> and I realize, and I will fully admit I'm just being grouchy. I am now, I have shifted. I have done a 180 from being Joe Dierte to being <laughs> kicking wing at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> All right. Snakes and poppers. This is pop culture pastor. We are now far less cool in your eyes as we spent five minutes complaining about fireworks here on this uh, 4th of July holiday. But we did mention one of the best 4th of July movies. Uh, Independence Day? No. Joe Dirt. (laughs) I'm sad. I don't remember you mentioning Independence (laughs) Day. Joe Dirt. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's not, it's, 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 it was a fun watch. So quotable. Yeah. Life's a garden. Dig it. <laughs> this is pop culture pastor. My name's Dave. Cody's here. Welcome. 
we often start off our pod with just a random conversation. This uh, this week, you got fireworks in the 4th of July holiday. By the time you hear this, uh, it'll be past the holiday. So I hope your holiday went well. That's that's what I'm going to say. Hoping for safety. Yeah. Hope nobody lost any limbs or and you got lots of good food to eat and potato salad and every, everything else. Uh, we'll just go. It's time. We're going to go with the pod. It's time for the news. News, news. Yeah, lots of news, um, especially if your name's Anthony Mackie. All the Anthony Mackie news <laughs> what, all the time. What got into Anthony Mackie? <laughs> Dude has been around for years, and he has said more in the past week and a half than he might have said his whole life. Oh, it, it, Apparently, it all stems from this uh, this interview he gave the inverse, which, okay, I guess that's a thing. It was a super long article. I read it all. I should get, like, some sort of diploma <laughs> for reading it. It was, a, like, I'm, who do you think you are, Rolling Stone? Yeah. You're going to need to lie a little bit more to, to get their inverse. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a Rolling Stone shot, and uh, I'm better than that. You are. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, okay. Anthony Mackey had a lot to say in this interview. Um, and people just, uh, people around him are just catching strays here. Like yes. he's, he just starts firing off all these things. And uh, one of the things he says, he starts uh, blasting on is Harry Potter. Harold Potter. Harry Potter had no explicative black friends. Frodo walked across the entire universe and never met a black dude. I want to see Frodo in the hood, which if I ever do Saturday Night Live is going to be a skit I'm going to do, Mackie said. So, <laughs> so Mackie just starts going all in on these uh, these franchise series, um, Harry Potter, and then he even catches Lord of the Rings, which, you know, Lord of the Rings was however many years ago uh, that was written. Totally different context the world was in. But also, has he not heard of the Rings of Power? This discussion was happening. It was. Because there's more minority representation in the Rings of Power than in previous Lord of the Rings works. There was. Um, I also, like, wonder about, like... What the demographics of England looks like. Because, I mean, it's a lot different being like living in the United States, especially if you live in a city versus like, yeah, Western Europe. Yeah, I'm not familiar enough with Harry Potter. Like where where does that all take place? I know it's England, but is he he's from is he from a smaller town? Like, yeah, what does the context of England look like? I don't even know. I do know that, you know, that there are uh, people of African descent there. Yes. Uh, We see that in other British movies, but maybe that's what he's talking about, that if we see it in other movies that take place in Britain, but he does have minority friends, right? I'm not, I'm not like imagining that. Minorities. Are who? Are gingers minorities. (laughs) Well, I've heard some gingers say they are, or they get treated uh, like, you know, um, poorly treated minorities. Because any Weasley. Uh, The most notable black stars in Harry Potter were the pure blood wizard Kingsley Shacklebolt, played by George Harris, 
uh, Alfred Enoch, who was featured as Dean Thomas, a Gryffindor student at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. And he's like, like, look, if you're a character as a student and you have a name, I mean, that was like, there's lots of side characters. Uh, oh, yeah. The students in those movies. I guess, I guess what he's... Anthony Mackie Mackie is having a problem with is that one of the main, what is it? The the three, maybe one of the three should have been a minority, but I, I guess if you're counting gingers, <laughs> then Ron's a minority, but then everyone hates Ron. Yes. Now post whatever, which I, I think has, you know, at least a little something to do with people hating JK Rowling. So they've kind of, some people who may have been fans have turned on the whole thing. And now they're like, that character is problematic because he treats Hermione like crud. And I'm like, well, he's a teenager. <laughs> you know. He starts off before he's a teenager and then progresses through his teen years. He gets better by the end. Yeah. I. This might be part of a larger problem of, well, we can't have stories about characters with flaws now and but then you see the stories with characters with no flaws and it's like oh yeah they're boring ray from star wars is boring her biggest flaw she didn't know that finn was force sensitive <laughs> it took him revealing that to her at the very end her biggest flaw is sometimes she just works too hard. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, literally we're turning characters into the, that part of the job interview that we used to make jokes about. What's your uh, biggest fault, Cody? Well, my biggest fault is I just care too much. I just care too much. I'm a hard worker. <laughs> so, uh, there's that. He had thoughts about, <sighs> He had thought about that. He also talked about how Marvel kind of threw him into the role of Captain America. He was talking about just with the the speed that he was after after Endgame, they kind of threw him into the role. He said, quote, there's a huge amount of pressure. You throw my dumb expletive in the water. He curses a lot. And you're like, swim. I'm like expletive <laughs> but at the same time it's all in the state of mind i've been given a great cast i've been given a great group of people who i've worked with before i'm like okay well let's examine this anthony like anthony listen anthony mackie seems like a good dude i'd like to hang out with him he seems fun but like even in this where you can't talk about how you can't go from lack of representation to oh and then they just threw me into the middle of this 200 million dollar movie as the star I get to star with Harrison Ford and it's like, they threw me in too fast. And like, wait, what? Like you can't, how do you go from that to this? Um, well, I mean, if you're, I guess, uh, auditioning for Harry Potter, you know what you're getting into. He auditioned to be Falcon and not, not exactly. Because in this interview, so he had had contact with Marvel already. Because here's something interesting you may not know. He was back in like the early 2010s when Marvel's just getting started. He's like in contact with them, like basically begging them to be Black Panther. 
trying to get them to make a Black Panther movie. Mm. And then the Russos came to him and said, hey, we want you for a part for this Marvel movie. We can't tell you what it is or what character you're playing, but are you it? And so he's thinking, oh, I'm going to be Black Panther, which was his dream, but it wasn't. He's not Black Panther. So yeah. technically he did not. I mean, I assume he went through some, you know. So he has beef with Marvel, in which Marvel is notorious for being tight-lipped about, like, upcoming movies and changes and all that stuff. And so if he finds out, like, at the very end of Endgame, like, hey, you're now launched into this. I get it. Poor dude doesn't get the proper time to prepare for the role to make it his own where like if he had been preparing for black Panther and then got put in the role of Sam, now you're supposed to be the contrarian one. Uh, not my <laughs> role today, buddy. <laughs> it's like, okay. Th- admittedly, this was one of the tangents he went on where I'm like, okay, I would know enough about it to, to argue with him. Um, but so if you say they just threw you into it and it was chaotic, then I'm going to go ahead and and maybe fall on th- that. You know what you're talking about. He also talked about Jonathan Majors. Um, he, he said, quote, Jonathan Majors is is uh, let's see. Where, where is this quote? Well, the Jonathan Majors situation has changed dramatically in the last couple of weeks because it looked like that his lawyers came out with some information that the the girlfriend was going to be charged or had enough to be charged with violence against him. And um, so you're thinking for a couple of days, we were thinking, oh, okay, well, that looks makes it look like uh, what Jonathan Major's lawyers were saying. It kind of backs up what they were saying. But then a couple of days later, Rolling Stone comes out with this huge expose article, which like, look, we've talked about Rolling Stone a lot before. They've struggled at journalism here in the last couple of years, if I'm being honest. So just because Rolling Stone comes out with an article, I'm not so sure. I'm going to need some other sources, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm in a place with Rolling Stone that I'm not so sure I can just take them at their word. But they did come out with this huge article on Jonathan majors with all these people unnamed, of course, from his past who they're, they're, they're calling them sources who have said that he has been abusive in the past. So now it doesn't look good for him again. Maybe it does look like he's doing this. If you believe the Rolling Stone article. So there's very few times, very few exceptions. I should say that, I'm like, oh, an unnamed source told you this. It has to be gospel. Um, There's certain, like, reporters that if they say an unnamed source, an unnamed executive told me this is going to go down, I believe it just Mm -hmm. because they have... the journalist or the reporter has a credibility with them that like whenever they give you an unnamed source and say, this was going to happen like nine times out of 10, it's going to happen. They got a track record. Yes. Yeah. Rolling stones, track record. Um, 
has been poo-poo of late. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, not good. Anyways, um, Anthony Mackie, of course, had thoughts about this. Like I told you, he, he kind of went crazy in this interview. He's given all the opinions. Uh, he started talking about Jonathan Majors, really the first MCU actor to say anything about it. He said, quote, nothing has been proven about this dude. Nothing. So everyone is innocent until proven guilty. That's all I can say. It's crazy where we are as a society, but as a country, everyone is innocent until, until proven guilty. Thoughts? Um, good social commentary from Anthony Mackey. Yeah. I will say, I will say he, that's legally, which I would say, hey, legally, that's still happening. But in the court of public opinion, that's never been the case. Yeah, it kind of depends. I think there's been some people that have been allotted grace uh, in the court of public opinion, but that number is significantly reduced as time has gone on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm not saying the court of public opinion is always right. I'm just saying I don't know that that's necessarily ever been a thing. In, and then depending on your profession and your uh, whether you're male or female, I mean, like an accusation against a male is pretty much all it takes to destroy a career. Like it never really matters whether the outcome rests, um, especially the more high profile you are. Once you have an accusation, uh, it doesn't really matter as far as your career goes where that ends up. Unless, of course, there I think there is a level uh, of bigness, you know. Like, I, th- I don't think, like, Harvey Weinstein's a good example. I think the rumblings of the what he was was out there. But oh, he, yeah. But he was just so big, and he had so much power in his own film studio that it didn't really matter until le- the legality came along, right? Then that's when it got dicey for him. So I think there's some people that are big enough to escape an accusation and still keep going, uh, but for all, most people... Like, let's say Jonathan Majors gets found innocent of these charges. Will Jonathan Majors ever be reach the trajectory he was on again? I would say probably not. In fact, I think there's a good chance that Marvel has already made their decision about him and are just waiting until the outcome to say it. But I think they've probably already decided they're replacing him. Because they know it doesn't really matter at this point if he gets found innocent. Because for some people, that it just won't be it won't be enough. And, um, and to be fair, uh, the justice system doesn't always get it right. I mean, they, those people might not be wrong. They're you know, just because someone gets found innocent of something just means that there wasn't enough evidence. Looking at you, juice. Yeah, so like, I'm not saying that those people are wrong. I'm just saying, but this is why an accusation is so big. It's so important. Um, There's a way that you can overcome it, and that's if like the video evidence, if there's video evidence and like Mm -hmm. it's crystal clear that, oh, okay, so they're standing here, and then all of a sudden, boom, fisticuffs fly from the other party, and he's taking a beating for like 10 minutes and then finally he like does something. And then you're like, Oh, that's self-defense at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's, it's tough, but Anthony Mackie had thoughts, right? 
Team Anthony Mackie today. A- Anthony Mackie wasn't done because now did he went in on the on the studios, which I'm not sure um, how smart it is if you're an actor and the studios are the ones that hire you to go in on them. But he did. He's he he started talking about the the potential SAG strike screen that the actors strike, um, which you know because the writers are already striking. Um, I think in this, I think they've already made a deal. Did they, did they end up making a deal? Was that the directors? It might've been the directors. Directors made a deal for sure. So I think the actors that it's still a possibility, but he said this, he said, quote, it's a, it's a poo show. If we go on strike, I'm paraphrasing, uh, they're, they're going to have to make a deal with us unless they get a bunch of YouTubers to make Avengers five. Don't tempt them. Anthony, don't tempt him. Um, does he not remember or has he not heard about the NFL bringing in replacement <laughs> players? Like, these studios are no better than the NFL. Look, going by the, the quality of the last handful of movies, there is a part of me that would love to see the Wish.com Avengers just for the, you know, the fun of it. <laughs> He wasn't done. Quote, this is where he goes in on the studios. He says, once the studios went public and were bought out by major companies, we were explicative. It's no longer about art. It's no longer about interesting, fun work. It's about end of the quarter profit sharing. It's about shareholders. So you're literally just raping and pillaging the industry. It's cannibalism. Um, <laughs> That might have been the strongest words he used in the whole article, and he used it for the movie companies. Is is he wrong? He's not wrong. Um, he might accidentally have a friend in Marty Scorsese, <laughs> who's like, we don't make art anymore. We just make these stupid superhero movies because they make a billion dollars. Could his own meme actually be used for him here? His own meme from the Falcon Winter Soldier. Well, he's out of line, but he's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like. Yo, Mr. Mackey, settle down in the interview, bro. Team Mackey. Oh, he wasn't done. What? How much did Anthony Mackey say? <laughs> he said a lot. He said a lot. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's big enough that he can say a lot. I mean, he's about to star in an MCU movie that I'm sure he's getting paid for. He's, he's starring opposite Harrison Ford. He's um, going to be in this Captain America movie. I mean, he's feeling himself, and that's why not? Why? Sure, he did a good job in Altered Carbon. Yeah, I like Anthony Mackie. Um, he his next big thing is a TV series on a one of the streaming networks based on the video game Twisted Metal. I'm gonna say no, thank you to that. I'm not familiar with the video game, so. Um, but what? Uh, he's not someone. This isn't out of the blue. He is someone who has before had things to say and not been afraid to say me. He was on the Wendy Williams show once in 2015. Have you heard about this? I didn't know about this. Okay. So the Wendy Williams show is one of my favorite, like random talk shows that get bagged upon even. So it's (laughs) off air now, but like it was on the soup every week. And I would watch the soup just to see what Wendy Williams was talking about. And oh my goodness, Wendy, bless her. 
Well, he got in trouble apparently on the Wendy Williams show back in 2015, and I don't remember hearing about this. Uh, but Wendy was talking about gender roles. Oh, Wendy. When well, it's 2015. Maybe not. She was feeling saucy. <laughs> when Mackie cut her off and said, "I do believe that if you want a sandwich, you make Daddy a sandwich." <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> Anthony Mackie. Well, like, look, this is a this is a classic case of know your know your audience because I'm assuming most of the people at the Wendy Williams show were female. Am I wrong? Would I, that not have been her audience? I assume so. Uh, a lot of people it says a lot of people in the crowd were dissatisfied <laughs> with what Mackie said, uh, but he wasn't done. He said, "No, no, no." He, as he continued to defend his point, let me ask you this. If me and you are out and somebody says something slick to you, you want me to smack him in his mouth, right? So if I take you on a date and I say, look, baby, we going to go Dutch, <laughs> which Dutch is yes. splitting the tab. <laughs> Wendy said no. Mackie continued, exactly. If we're walking up to the car and I don't open your car door, what do you say? She says, open the door. You better believe it, Mackie says. See, you make daddy a sandwich. If I'm outside cutting that grass, bring daddy some lemonade. It's hot outside and I'm cutting all this grass. And once again, I'm feeling like Anthony Mackie is like, well, he's out of line. But <laughs> listen, there, there is something about this world, if I can make an observation about this without making everybody mad, where we want our cake and we want to eat it too. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I get that some of the gender role stuff that the world, our society used to do is outdated. And I'm on board with that. Like, I think women can do anything men can do. I'm, I'm fully behind women preachers, that women can preach. Cody is, too. Um, I know how to make a sandwich. <laughs> also, I'm fine with making my own sandwiches. So, uh, he's being kind of cartoonish, but there's a point in here that I actually think he's right about. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. So if he didn't have the line about daddy, if he removed yeah, that, well, I, I think that like no matter what relationship you're in, you have to give and do things for your significant other. And so like if I make my wife a sandwich because she got home late, hey, look at me. I'm being nice and loving. Um, I am being a supportive spouse in that role. Um, if my wife's like, I'm going to defend your honor out in the community because someone's talking trash. I don't know why they're talking trash on me, but that's rude. Um, but if she does that, Hey, good for her. I mean, yeah, the, 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 the opposite way can be the the truth as well can be good. Like if Anthony Mackie's married to the American Gladiator Zap, um, he doesn't have to worry about defending her honor. <laughs> she will take care of everyone else. We just went, we just went American <laughs> Gladiators. Yeah, I mean, okay. The reason I bring that up is I think we see a pattern with Anthony where I think he's actually quite observant. And so he sees things in the culture and then uh, he may deliver them <laughs> what his thoughts on it in, in a way that you wish he could temper down. Like, so 
he he delivers that line on the Wendy Williams show with some condescension, mm-hmm. right? There's a better way to deliver it, I'm sure. But I'm I'm inclined to say yes. Culture wants its cake and wants to eat it too, a lot. And specifically when we're talking about gender roles, I mean, like I have I am someone who was brought up in kind of that old school way. So I refer to all my friends' parents as Mr. and Mrs. Whatever. Um, that's just the way I was brought up. Uh, I open the doors for people when I go to public places. Almost always, I'm always looking for someone behind me to see if there's a door I can hold open for somebody. And I have gotten both reactions, especially from females, which is to say uh, I've gotten the reaction of thank you, which, like, look, if you do this, it's very important. You're not there for the reaction anyway. You're just doing it to do it because that's what you do. Uh, but I have seen both reactions. I've seen the reaction of thank you. And I've also gotten the reaction of you don't think I can open a door myself. I'm like, well, I, no, that wasn't even part of my thinking. I was just trying to be kind. Where I am more of a taker. So I am like, you haven't watched this show. I think you should leave. Um, that's the name of the show. Tim oh, Robinson. I'm very confused. Yeah. Tim Robinson. There's a skit he does. And, uh, like he is a couple hundred feet away and he's like, wait, hold the door. Wait. <laughs> and then he proceeds to walk super slow. <laughs> and that's me. I'm like, please do everything for me. Yeah. I accept it. I think sometimes <laughs> that is a good, um, that's a good making fun of, or a satire of the culture now though. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways, that's what we're like. And and I'll segue into this, uh, one of these last stories I've got here, which is, um, so the South Park guys. Yeah. They bought Casa Bonita. Matt and Trey. <laughs> in Denver, Casa Bonita is a famous, uh, you know, Tex-Mex style restaurant. I've eaten there. Yeah, I have too. When I was much younger. Uh, they've got cliff divers. It's an entertainment thing. The food was never the big part, but they've they've made some changes to it, made it a destination again. Well, um, one of the main policies of Parker and Stone, Trey Parker and Matt Stone's restaurant, is that they they eliminated tipping. So customers can't tip their waiters, their servers, which is it's different. Um A few days before opening, staff were offered new contracts, which said that servers and bartenders would be paid $30 an hour, but couldn't take tips. And this made the news because their workers are like, they're upset. And I'm just like, yeah, but you're making $30 an hour as a waiter. Oh, yeah. Or uh, or as a server. I just, again, we're, we're back to this thing in the culture. It's like, well, which one would you rather do? Would you rather make minimum wage and work on tips? And then have, like, listen, I've done that. Um, I've been that. And there were days when I walked out of there with a lot of cash in my pocket. But there were also days where I did a lot of work and I didn't get a lot of cash. Well, there's some restaurants that, like, they can reduce your pay to below minimum wage based on how much tips you made that day. And so no matter what, you are getting trash. And so, um, and Casa Bonita, the weird thing is you have a flag that you raise up whenever you need more food or yeah. drink. And so like, 
if there's constantly wait staff coming in and out, like who gets the tip then? Yeah. Um, so no, I'm good. A thirty dollars an hour is more than I make at any of my jobs. <laughs> Colorado's minimum wage is thirteen sixty five an hour. So you're over twice that, which I'm inclined to say, oh, come on. It's $30 an hour for a server job. Uh, you can't, that's, that's a win. That's a win. And yeah, you can't, you know, buy yourself a house with it yet, but <laughs> I don't know. There seems to be something we talked about. You can actually live off that. Yeah. We've talked about this before. It seems like that our young people have been lied to. They think they're, they're, well, I shouldn't have to struggle. Like, well, everybody kind of does in their younger years. And I suppose if what you're saying is no one should ever struggle because our country has a lot of money, then I suppose we could talk about that. But then you're, you're talking about something other than capitalism. Um, unless your name ends with like Rockefeller, DuPont, <laughs> hammer um yeah you're 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 going to struggle russell crowe was doing an interview uh at the 57th carlovi vari international film festival which that they just made that up that's not a real thing right that's the biggest film festival <laughs> that i've never heard of uh <laughs> where he um mentioned that it would be great if moving forward uh, he would be cut out of the Gladiator 2 talk. So they're making a Gladiator 2. We didn't need it. Don't think about that too long. Because you, you're like, how? Like, that's not the point. Don't <laughs> the need point it. Is, don't want it. The point is they're making one. He said this, quote, and it's all about expletives today. <laughs> well, with Russ, I expect it. He says uh, they should be expletive paying me for the amount of questions I get asked about the expletive film that I'm not even in. He told that to the Hollywood Reporter. I don't know anything about the cast. I don't know anything about the plot. <laughs> Does he want to be in it? In that world, I'm dead six feet under, and that's that. I don't think so. I think Russell Crowe is the weird, one of the weirdest actors that made it big, in my opinion, because at no time... Has he ever seemed like he wanted it? Like he's living in a world. We're living in a world where there's like tons of people that want to be Russell Crowe. And he seems to be living in a world where he's living out his worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of dig that about Russell Crowe. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's not happy. He's not happy about being asked about gladiator too, which on a personal note, Gladiator, the first Gladiator with Russell Crowe, is one of my favorite movies, and I absolutely adore him in it. Um, adore him so much in the pop culture pastor lounge. We have an autograph poster. We do. We do have a. Uh, uh, my parents got that for Christmas for me one year. So it's a Gladiator movie poster with Russell Crowe's signature on it. Russell doesn't even know that. He doesn't. But it happened. <laughs> Okay, we spent too long talking about news. We got to get to the review segment of this podcast, which, yeah, this is actually a podcast about the review of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So stick around.
So what we're here to talk about after that marathon news session, we're here to talk about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Without Anthony Mackie. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Anthony Mackie, not in this movie. Spoiler alert. Although he might have made it better. We could have used some Anthony Mackie in in this movie. Uh, Now that he's good friends with Harrison Ford. Yeah. Um, but he is sadly not in this movie. I'm not, I'm not sure. Like just before we even get into this, most of this movie, I kind of sat in the theater and watching it. And I just had this weird kind of these weird emotions and this weird feeling of, I I want to give the movie makers credit because I feel like they were trying harder to make a good Indiana Jones movie than they did on Kingdom of Crystal Skull, which Cody has just recently watched for the first time. Oh, it was like a movie. <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I, I now wish that my sacred vow would have lasted longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't get back that two hours, but, um, like, I wonder if I watched Dial of Destiny never having seen or Kingdom of the Crystal Skull never having existed, how I would have responded to this movie. So I did something similar for this movie. Like, if the the Indiana Jones trilogy did not exist, would I think this is a a good movie? And I came to the conclusion that I would say it was fun. If they make another one, I would kind of see what the reviews were before I like jump into it. But yeah, uh, it was fun. So I was trying as I'm sitting in the theater and I realized that I'm not fully enjoying this. Right. But I don't have, there's nothing concrete like kingdom of the crystal school where I'm just like, Oh, I hate this. Right. Mm-hmm. There was nothing like that. And I'm sitting there in the theater and I'm trying to, and after, since I've seen it, I'm trying to put these thoughts in some sort of order of if Kingdom of the Crystal Skull didn't exist, would it change my feelings in this movie? And I have to say, probably it, it, it'd be fair because I think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was so bad uh, that it just sort of tarnished everything for me. In in in, in that case, am, am I going to be unfair in this pod about this in this review of Indiana Jones and the Doll of Destiny it's very likely it's very likely that i will be unfair because the original indiana jones trilogy those three movies are my some some of my most beloved movies of all time and kingdom of the crystal skull really did damage to that and then so going into this movie i'm i have dread so I'm dreading, and when you have dread, that affects the way you take something in. And so I just want to get that out there before we even start talking about this and say that if you are hoping for some glowing review from me, I just need you to bear with me and understand where I'm coming from because my my point is it isn't to just go into this movie and eviscerate it. So I will say I actually came into this movie after watching Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, saying it can't get worse than this. And because I knew 
that the director from Logan was the one that made it, I'm like, there's hope. Yeah, and to be fair, before we even get started, it's not as bad as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I don't know how it could be. Um, which my friend Stevie Spielberg, who directed that hot trash, um, and it might have completely derailed his career. Uh, <laughs> I think he's all right. He blames George Lucas for how dumb Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was. Well, if you if you listen to some of those interviews that Spielberg gives about Indiana Jones, it's pretty clear that if he'd let Lucas have his way more in the originals, they wouldn't have been as good. And listen, George Lucas is unassailable to many of the geek crowd for his role in making Star Wars. But some of the things he wanted to do with Indiana Jones, where Spielberg kind of won out, were saved the franchise. And then it was like on Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, he was like, fine, George, we'll do Aliens. And he that, that was the beginning of the end. Anyways, all of that baggage goes into this movie where, and, and in, in defense of James Mangold, who's a director, mm-hmm. I think he does a fine job. I think the problems I'm going to have that we're going to talk about are all not his doing. It's, it's story. It's things the studio wanted, uh, some studio issues, and, and, and we'll get into all of that. But let me just give you a broad takedown. And by the way, spoilers abound. If you haven't seen the movie, you don't want to be spoiled. Don't listen. If you want to know if this movie is something that you want to watch or not. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So I got messages from listeners about the flash where they listened to our podcast before they went and saw the movie and it actually helped their enjoyment because there are some people like that. I can be that way sometimes where if I know what to expect before I'm going in, then it takes the pressure of way of wanting a certain thing from it. And then I can just relax and enjoy myself, go on a ride. So if that's you, then this may actually be good because we'll get some things out of the way and then you can just go enjoy the ride. My friend Scarlett Johansson does not like that. She doesn't like that. Um, she told me that when doing an interview about Asteroid City, she's like, I don't like to know what I'm going into. Okay. Well, and so um, if you're like Scarlett, click off now. Well, you know, you and your fancy friends just have a different kind of speed you're moving at than the rest of us. Yes. And uh, your long extensive history with Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> I would expect you to know that about her. So, you know, it's it's all good. But uh, this movie is not unlike in its basic premise most Indiana Jones movies. Yep. There's a, a story put in place. There's a MacGuffin they have to find. There's a bad guy chasing it along with Indiana Jones. There are side characters who are along for the ride. And there is uh, the chase. There's the, the capture, you know, that looks bad. And then there's the outcome. It's, it's not unlike a lot of Indiana Jones movies in a broad sense. This one felt more busy yeah with some side stuff and mm. i'm like i don't know if i need this yeah yeah i think they're as always and i think part of the problem with these movies now is if if i'm looking back i don't think when spielberg and lucas made indiana jones and the temple of doom for instance the second indiana jones movie I don't think they were making that movie with one eye on how do we keep the franchise going? I think they were just making a movie. 
They were just making a story. And I think that's the problem with a lot of our stuff now, especially from the Disney perspective, is they've got one hand working on the story and the other hand working on how do we keep the franchise going. And I think that's the beginning of a lot of problems, but uh, we can get back to that later. Um, so that's, you know, base, the basic premise of the movie is the same as any other Indiana Jones movies. There's a MacGuffin. There's something they're chasing. There's a bad guy that, that they got to beat to him. They got to beat him to the MacGuffin. Otherwise, the world's in blah, 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 blah. No matter what happens. Yeah. So we're going to do a new format here on this review show. We're going to try and make this our new format because maybe it was a little busy with too many categories. So every review we do now is going to have our three things. So beyond the broad view of the movie, uh, we're going to do our three things. And it's the three things we really want to talk about whatever we're reviewing. Yeah. So, so Cody's going to go first. Let's talk about your three things. What is thing number one about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny that you would like to talk about? Cody? Numero uno. Um, the de-aging uh, technology they use on old Harrison Ford. Yeah. And, and Mads Mickelson. And Mads. Um, so, I mean, they have to make Harrison look like 30 years younger, mm -hmm. um, at least. Yeah. And so... Well, yeah, where are you at on it? I... So, my issue is... When you see it, like it kind of looks like the a Snapchat filter. Mm, like you can yeah. tell there's something not quite fully real, but it looks close. But when you see other actors in the same scene that mm. don't have that, yeah, it's like, oh, this stands out. Something's off with this. So like I feel you have to make those scenes like look different so that everyone's face is a little bit yeah altered yeah so then in which it would have worked perfectly because it was a flashback and so like it's not something happening in the main time uh line so like oh 1940s okay i'm with you things look a little distorted a little grimy yeah, why not animate it all? And if, if you're going to do that. Yeah. And so, yeah, Harrison Ford, his face in particular really stands out when they do that. And so I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. But like you said, if they animate the whole thing, um, like especially since it's a flashback scene, it's not like... Um, on the Mandalorian when Luke Skywalker shows up, like yeah. it's happening in that current moment. So it doesn't really make sense for everyone to be looking digitally distorted, but, um, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm going to echo what you're saying there because the, the scenes where they use the de-aging technology on Harrison Ford, um, if he's the only character in the shot that you see his face, then maybe it's not distracting because it, it wasn't because there's a few scenes where it's just him. <laughs> yeah. So here, here's the issue. The issue is a couple things can be true at the same time. One, this is the best this technology has ever looked. Yeah. 
And two, it's still a problem because of what Cody said. And I would agree completely with this. When another actor is on screen for real with the CGI, then it's it's not good because Harrison Ford is one of the most emotive with his face actors who has ever lived and you've and you've got a pretty reasonably good facsimile of him on the screen but it's still wooden because it's not human it's not real you you understand it's not real you understand he's human like look they get away with this with Luke Skywalker in the Mandalorian because Luke Skywalker as a Jedi is kind of a wooden character. Yeah. He's baseline with Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones. You could tell they tried to do some Harrison Ford ish things with the character. Like he does this, like the little grin, the side grin. He, he, when he's talking to the Nazi leader guy, um, there are things they do where you'd like, Oh, I see what they just did there. That was his little smirk. That was this. But it just doesn't seem like the original. And there's just something that's not quite human about it. And then when you when your brain understands that, it's distracting. Also, it's very distracting having seen like what he looked like 40 years ago when he made the first one. Mm-hmm. And um like knowing what his voice sounded like then. Yes. And the voice like it's it's weaker uh-huh. it, it sounds like an older man uh instead of like this tough gruff like 40 year old dude yeah from the moment he first says his first words that was a big thing i'm glad you noticed that too because i wondered if i would be someone that noticed it and then no one else did but his voice wasn't right for the younger indiana jones yeah if you've seen raiders you're like, well, this doesn't sound right. Yeah. They, like they could have done with some sort of digital manipulation of his voice to make him a younger man's voice because you're right. When he opens up his mouth to speak, you're looking at young Indiana Jones, but you're hearing old Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. And so that was distracting. And I guess what I'm, what I'm willing to echo about your first thing here is I agree the technology's come a long ways, but it's not there. It's just not there. Mm-mm. And I'm not so sure that they shouldn't have done a story where they didn't have to do this. Where we should have, like, look, I think this movie, once it hits 1969, is actually pretty okay. Mm-hmm. I, I think if they just would have been in 1969 and we just would have had old Harrison Ford, I, I think it would have been better. I, I think that the whole opening sequence, which I will get to later, is is not very great. But go on. Is, is there anything more you want to say about that before you move on to your second? Uh, nothing. Okay. Point number two. Okay. Of so your three things. The relic they are after. Um, the <laughs> Dial of Destiny. Yes. The uh, Anti-Kathira. Kathira, um, of Archimedes. Of Archimedes, yes. So... It's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely didn't have these cool supernatural abilities attached to it. Um, like, it literally kept track of, like, lunar phases and stuff. Yeah. Uh, way advanced. Like, you don't see anything like this for at least another thousand years. So, like, the movie does a good job of talking about, like, oh, you don't see anything like this for a while. Um, but... 
They attach a whole bunch of supernatural ability to it, which you have to have something that's supernatural within an Indiana Jones film. Um, and of course, like if the Nazis are after it, it has to do something spectacular. And so um, I kind of like this like relic they're going after, but I don't like where it leads them to. Mm. Yeah, we don't have to go there yet. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I have thoughts about where you're going specifically. That's one of my three. And Indy's, yeah. Yes. Yeah. His, his thought process during that, just baffling. Um, yeah, the, but you're right. The relic itself, it's, it's too, well, yeah, it's too much. What they do with it is too much. Archimedes himself, too much. Mm-hmm. My history might be a little fuzzy, uh, but him being a great mathematician, he was not the leader of a country or or forces, which yeah. it kind of appears like he is. So that battle that is referenced and depicted, um, he did design the mirrors. Yeah. And like it was a huge military feat. But he wasn't a king. Yeah. He, he just was a smart dude. Yeah. And yeah. so um, we can thank him for some cool math stuff, some random inventions, the dial of destiny, <laughs> as we're referring to it. Yeah. And so um, thank you, Archimedes. Yeah. You're, you, thank you for the math. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have much else to say about that till we get to one of my points because it, it would lead into that. So I'll just yeah. hold off. Um, last one I have is, did they do fan service better than kingdom of the crystal skull? So kingdom of the crystal skull, I'm watching it for the first time. All I have ever heard about kingdom of the crystal skull are these two things, aliens (laughs) and he survives a nuclear blast in a refrigerator. That's pretty much all you need to know. And so, like, I did not know anything about Shia LaBeouf's character. Oh, yeah. Um, So, early on, they say Shia uh, introduces himself as Mutt. And I'm like, that's funny. Just a little too on the nose? Yeah. Indy stole his name from a Mutt and doesn't go by his given birth name. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they keep referencing this mom too much. And then you see who the mom is, and you're like, they went exactly where I thought they were going to go. <laughs> and, yeah, the, there was a lot of moments that I feel they were just trying to, like, hit all the high notes from Indiana Jones, but without any of the work that, like, caused those moments to be high points. And so it just, like, the whole film just really didn't work. And then, yeah. again, you're trying to add in the son that he didn't know was even a possibility. And um, out of the relationships he's had in the movies, I'm like, oh, the first lady, she's nice. I Like, I, <laughs> I didn't care one iota that, like, she was back. Mm, yeah. That's too bad. I mean, I cared, but it was in the middle of a bad movie. So yeah. 
I don't know. And the whole, like, look, I thought Shia LaBeouf was fine in that movie. And he's clearly a, a good actor. But yet you're not doing your actors any favors, whoever's writing that movie. That Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the jungle scene, is one of the most bonkers, ridiculous scenes I have ever seen in a movie. The uh, primates. Yeah, the CGI and, monkeys. And the ants. Oh, gosh. I forgot about the ants. Oh, it's just brutal. Just so bad. I guess what I need to know is like what makes good fan service, right? So what's good fan service? Because I, I have an idea uh, in this movie, in the dial of destiny, I think the last five minutes of this movie are actually sweet and um, good fan service because it references something from a past movie in, in, in some dialogue specifically, while still allowing their characters to be the char- their characters and they're having this moment. So the characters are having a moment. It works in the story and it works as fan service. So it works on multiple levels because Karen Allen tells or her character, Marion tells Indiana Jones, something he told her in the very first movie. Mm. She runs through this dialogue and it's sweet. It's fan service and it works. Like I almost teared up which for this movie is atrocious because it shouldn't have evoked that emotion, but it did. And it was one of my favorite parts of the movie was this last couple minutes because they finally got to be real characters. They did. Um, The, the flash tried to do fan service by having Michael Keaton be the Batman, Mm -hmm. Uh, having him say, I'm Batman. Right. And so I, I like where you're going with this. And so like you have that sort of thing where it's like, hey, this is supposed to evoke all the feelings you had back in 1989. Mm-hmm. And but what? Why didn't it? Because like the build up to it really wasn't that grave a build up. It was just like, oh, here's hippie Batman living as a hermit. It doesn't make sense to it the doesn't. character. You are not having enough reverence for the source material, which this is a big thing for me. The reason Karen Allen's dialogue is Marion at the very end of this movie works as fan service and, and in the, in the movie is because it's not out of character for her to, to do this drawback to Indiana. They both live, their characters have lived through unimaginable tragedy. Mm-hmm. We already said spoilers. Their son dies in what you assume is the Korean War. Yep. That he enlisted because he was mad at dad. He was mad at his father for not being in his life. And he ends up dying in the Korean War. It's actually another one of the more emotional beats in the film that actually kind of works. And uh, so, and it explains why Shia LaBeouf, and it explains why they end up getting divorced because this is what happens when humans are in grief. This happens all the time. The loss of a child can end a marriage, and um, it does in their case. And so this reconciliation that happens, it's in character, it works, and it's it's realistic. It's an emotional beat, and it's fan service all in one, and it works. When Michael Keaton delivers those corny lines that he gave in Tim Burton's 1989 Batman field film in this movie, the flash, it doesn't make sense for the character. It doesn't make sense for where the, they've already told us the character is at. 
Like, why would it doesn't make sense in the fact that he's living his real life. So why would he quote a movie that the flash is not seen? He's literally quoting a movie that he was a character in. Yep. Like it's fan service for fan service sake. And it comes off as corny and dumb. And that's the difference. That's the difference in fan service, good fan service and bad fan service. So this movie that we just watched. Is this point number three? Yeah, this is. Okay. So it was about that the, the fan service. In the fan service, like, it's interesting because you have um, characters that were a part of, like, the, the original trilogy at some point or another show up. Um, Salah uh, shows up. Sala. Sala. Uh, Marion shows up. Um, and so you have those and you're like, Hey, familiar faces. And then the weird thing is Indy's goddaughter is basically Indy from temple of doom. And it's at that point, I'm like, Ooh, Indy was cringe. Cause she's very cringe. Oh, she's super cringe at moments in this film. And like, she's all about the money. And I'm like, ah, this is why I like my Dr. Jones raiding arcs and being in Last Crusades. Well, so if I remember this correctly, Temple of Doom is technically a prequel. Prequel, yes. It's the youngest we see him in a motion picture. uh, That's, you know, for the whole part. I know there's a flashback in Last Crusade. Uh, But yeah, Temple of Doom takes place. And he, he is... Sort of that guy. Remember, he tells he short starts round, off that way. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. That's what it's about for him at that yes. point. Um, so, yeah. Well, but, like, think about why they're doing that. Why is she just basically a female ver- young version of younger him? Because they had plans. Well, Kathleen Kennedy already said that she's hoping. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course she is. She did the same thing with Star Wars. She wanted a female lead. Um, and that's where Ray comes from. And like, look, it works. They did a trilogy of movies with Ray in the lead. Um, I've discussed this. I can't remember if I've discussed this on the pod. The The topic of Mary Sue's comes up mm-hmm. because when you do this, when you, when you lead with a character who we would say doesn't usually get to lead, um, you tend to not give her any weaknesses or the character any weaknesses. And they call that being a Mary Sue. Right, yeah. which I think Ray is borderline. It's she really has no weaknesses. She never messes up. And when you finally give her something in the last movie, The Rise of Skywalker, where she's gonna have to live with a you know a mistake that she didn't really cause. It was just an accident where she kills Chewie because she blows up the ship with the power she didn't realize she had. You undo it in, in five minutes later. You do. And so, like, that's the problem. That's the problem with those kind of characters. So Kathleen Kennedy not learning that lesson that people aren't all that enamored with the sequel trilogy for star Wars decided she was going to make this movie where half the point again, one hand is doing the story. The other hand is franchise building. Yeah. This is the problem. So that character is they're clearly trying to set up. They're trying to spotlight her. Uh, Well, and they also do, I mean, they give her a short round in Teddy. 
I'm glad you said that because he's literally short round. And I'm like, this isn't Kihai Kwan. <laughs> I'm not here for this. For all intents and purposes, Teddy is short round. He's he's an orphan, clearly. He's well beyond his years and the things he can do. He's yep. a kid who's street smart, can do things. Pickpockets. Like more no of an adult. Business. He's more of an adult-like character in that way. And it's adorable because he's a kid. Yep. He's short round. I'm glad you said that because they didn't even try to hide that. So, like, I everyone loves whenever you see Indy put on the hat, have the whip, punch a Nazi. That that's good callbacks. And at the very end of the movie, after being near death and everyone leaves, he grabs his hat and you're like, Indy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I will compare this to, okay, you sent me a clip of an old like Christian, uh, like after school special, which we <laughs> need to do a review on <laughs> in, in the clip. It's two boys. They're in a hallway of a high school with the one kids at his locker and the other kid like walks five steps away from the, he turns around and says, Hey, Scotty. Jesus, man. <laughs> that was the last scene of this movie. Him reaching the hat was their version of, hey, Scotty. Jesus, man. <laughs> it's just like, I don't even understand what, what is, how am I supposed to feel about that? Oh, look, he grabbed his hat for no apparent reason. It's romantic. Was it? Was that what it was supposed to, was that what they were going for? Uh, I think so. That's super weird. I, I don't know. Um, I Yeah, those three things. I'm glad you talked about your three. Let's get into my three things. Yeah. Um, Indiana Jones movies have had a fabulous tradition, uh, especially the, the original three, a tradition of the opening action sequence that sets the tone for the movies. Um, they introduce characters in the original Raiders Lost Ark. We are introduced to Indy himself. Mm-hmm. Um, we're introduced to Indy's faults right off the bat in, in, in the opening sequences of movies. Like in the first one, we understand many things. This goes back to the, the, the Mary Sue problem of Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character who, while we understand she has a couple faults, they're not faults that affect her in the grand scheme. In the original Raiders of the Lost Ark, we know things about Indy right away. One, he's too trusting. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, he's he's too much about his own glory. We know that. Three, he cares way too much about that stupid hat. Just leave the hat behind. If you own a good hat, Dave, <laughs> you have to take care of it and treasure it like your most prized possession. Four, he's deathly afraid of an animal, of snakes. He has a phobia. It's phobia level. These are all things introduced in the opening sequence of the original movie. He has flaws. He does. Which, again, goes back to the whole Ray Skywalker problem, right? And they do a callback to his phobia in this, but it was ridiculous. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, and so anyways, these opening sequences, they introduce characters. Uh, in the second one, it, it, we, we get introduced to uh, the girl who he's going to be, you know, with it, it, it jump starts the plot in a lot of ways. In Last Crusade, we get the flashback with major character points for Indy, but also 
the introduction of his father, who's off camera voiced by Sean Connery, which, oh, by the way, hey, you want to go back in time and show us people do clever camera work. You don't have to do CGI. Mm-hmm. There's a way they could have done the opening sequence of this movie where we never saw Indiana Jones's face, just heard his voice. Yeah. And they proved with Last Crusade that that works. Even though Dr. Uh, Henry Jones Sr. isn't in that isn't in that opening sequence a lot, he's in it enough and it's just the voice and we that's enough. It worked. So the opening action sequences of Indiana Jones movies are, are some of the most memorable. Like the first scene is the first scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark is iconic with the rolling ball, mm-hmm. the idol. By the way, he loses. He loses in the first time we meet Indiana Jones. He loses. He gets out with the idol. Belloc is there, takes the idol. He has to run for his life from the, the indigenous people. Mm. Okay. Another fault, another, you know, that he's vulnerable right there in the opening sequence in temple of doom. Um, it's another great action opening sequence. And then in the third one, like I said, we get that this opening sequence does nothing but to set up the MacGuffin that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. It does introduce the villain who we haven't talked much about Mads Mikkelsen, but he's wonderful. He looks and acts like a Nazi. I would want to punch in the face. <laughs> He's a great bad guy. And Mad Mikkels- Mads Mikkelsen is wonderful in this movie for what they ask him to do. Uh, he's great. But, the in- you know, they introduced the dad. Like, the only reason uh, that the girl character's dad is in this is because it's Toby Jones. I mean, first of all, uh, Toby Jones is great. I like him and everything, and he's wonderful in this opening sequence. He's probably the best part about this opening sequence, I would say. Um, but he's really only there to make sure you have a um, a story background for Helena when she shows up, or Helena. That's the only reason she's there, and or he's there. And that, that's the only reason the, uh, the action sequence exists. And it puts emphasis on why she would care so much about this dial yeah yeah of destiny so i think the opening action sequences sorry my wire got messed up uh dangers of podcasting i think the opening action sequences are iconic in indiana jones movies this one doesn't live up so that's 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 a problem that's thing number one i wanted to talk about and plus, we already talked about the CGI, having the CGI be such the main focus of this, where, by the way, again, you did a flashback in an earlier movie with a different actor when Harrison was still in his prime. They used River, River Phoenix, Phoenix. Mm-hmm. for young Indiana Jones, and it worked because River Phoenix was an amazing actor. Can I tell you, there are amazing actors out there somewhere who bear a somewhat striking resemblance probably to Harrison Ford. They used what's-his-name in Rogue One. Just go get him. Let him be young Indiana Jones for this flashback. Why? Why do we have to use the CGI? Probably because that guy's like, I got blasted by every star wars fan ever i don't need to get blasted by (laughs) every indiana jones i don't know his quality of his as an actor i i thought he was okay in 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 solo 
He was fine. But I know some people had issues. The problem is he's not Harrison Ford. Is that if that's the main focus of the problem, then whatever. But I'm saying by using the CGI so heavy in the first 15 minutes of this movie, understanding the problems with it, we've already talked about because it was one of Cody's points that the opening sequence of this movie puts you from on shaky ground to begin with. Mm. That's my problem with the opening action sequence. That's my number one thing. A uh, number two thing. Let's talk about Phoebe Waller bridge who uh, played Helena Shaw. Um, yeah, she did. She was fine. I, yeah, I, so her acting ability, I don't think is the issue. No. And, and in fact, I think she's being coached just judging by the movie itself to have fun, which I think she's, it appears she's having fun in oh, this yeah. role. Um, my problem with her character and unfortunately, then with the actress is the the again, they're spending a good portion of this movie trying to set up a franchise, trying to continue a franchise with her as Indiana Jones, because this is Kathleen Kennedy. This is her M.O. This is what she wants to do. She wanted she did it with Star Wars. Now she wants to do it with Indiana Jones to put uh, this girl in the new adventures of Indiana Jones esque type adventures, which is fine. The actress is fine. I don't know that she has uh, the the charisma of Harrison Ford, but hey, that's not a fair judging stick because who does? Yeah. Um, but that that should tell you something about the f- trying to keep the franchise going, anyways. Probably. Either you do a complete reboot or you let it die. Well, right, because like, look, if we use these last two movies as an example. We can clearly say that, hey, even Harrison Ford couldn't save these movies. And if he's one of the most charismatic actors of all time, then we can we can point to that and say it's not all about him. At one point, Harrison Ford was uh, had grossed the most box office revenue of any living actor ever. I think he's been passed. Honestly, Zoe Saldana might have passed him. Uh, just by her being in Avatar, Avengers, and Guardians. But, um, I mean, this dude is box office gold. And these last two films are not cleaning and raking in all the monies. Yeah. Let's, Let's take a look, before I get into her character, Helena Shaw, Let's take a let's look at Indiana Jones for a second. In Raiders of the Lost Ark and in Temple of jo- Temple of Doom, we see a character who goes through an arc through the course of the movie. At the beginning of the movie, maybe he's a little too much into the glory for himself. Maybe maybe he isn't he's not a perfect person. But by the end of the movie, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, the arc is, is that, Hey, people are more important to me than things. It's the same arc he goes through in every movie, mm-hmm. um, in temple of doom. He, he just wants the stones fortune and glory kid. But by the end of it, that kid becomes more important to him. And then all those kids, when he sees human humanity in a situation then he's willing to sacrifice the stones to save the humans in last crusade. That's the, that's the climactic point of the, the whole saga is he's reaching for the Holy Grail 
which is should be the most amazing artifact he ever chases, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, and he want, he can almost reach it. And it's his father who says, Hey, it's not important. His father who dedicated his life to studying it and trying to find it. It's his father who pulls him out and says, Hey, this is more important. This is the, the, the main arc for Indiana Jones as a character. He keeps finding out over and over again that he values people over his ambitions. When Teddy gets kidnapped, he's like more concerned about Teddy than Phoebe is. Yeah. Here's my problem with Phoebe Waller Bridge's character. She has no such arc. And that's looking, that's not her fault. It's understandable because we're all about the anti-hero now. Everything's about an anti-hero. This is what movie companies think we want. I'm going to say, no, we don't. We look like, look, we like a good anti-hero story. And I guess it's the Batman effect. If we want to, if we want to go there, Batman, Batman, Batman is a hero at the end of the day. You can say he's a vigilante, but you'd be wrong. Batman's a hero. Then I'm going the crow effect. Yeah. But people think of Batman as a vigilante. And as time has gone on, they try to make him one. Remember, a lot of people's problem with Batman versus Superman, with Ben Affleck's Batman, is that Batman starts shooting people. And then he's branding them. Yeah. And why did people have a problem with it? Because it's not Batman. He has a code because he's a hero. We don't like anti-heroes. When are they going to learn this, Cody? Like Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character is not likable. She's fun. She's she's like the ultimate. Like, um, This is a character you don't mind hanging out with from time to time because she's fun and exciting and you have adventures, but you don't want to hang out with her full time. It's a dangerous to hang out she's a liar she's a cheater she's a swindler yep and so she's han solo without the arc (laughs) the um i don't remember this being like a huge point in the first three but they made it a significant point in kingdom of the crystal skull and they bring it up phoebe brings it up in this um capitalism like it's all about capitalism and like capitalism is is the the corrupt evil thing in the world because in the fourth one indy gets double crossed and then triple crossed by that guy um who i'm going to refuse to even acknowledge (laughs) um because he's all about the money and capitalism indy capitalism and then she's like uh our Matt's like, you stole this from me. And then she's like, well, I stole it from him. It's capitalism, boys. Yeah. And I'm like, why are we just throwing out capitalism for kicks and giggles? You're British anyway. Well, there's the thing where Hollywood's liberal and they like to put their statements in their movies. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy didn't lower my ticket costs for this. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Hey, Kathy, how much? How much are you bringing home this year? Exactly. How much money is Kathleen Kennedy bringing home? Oh, we don't like capitalism. I bet capitalism is treating you pretty well. And like, well, okay, but whatever. Yeah, that's why it's so ridiculous for Hollywood to comment on such things at all. 
It's like when you see the money pouring into those things and out of those things, then you're just like, what, what are you talking about? So, yeah, my the point is the character that their Kathleen Kennedy clearly wants to spin off into her own franchise. Nobody likes her. She's not an endearing character. You don't take her through an arc. You have to take the character through an arc. At least Ray had a sort of an arc, although it's not much of one because as we discussed, she has no brokenness to come to arc from. So if I'm going to be contrarian. Yes, go for it. Um, I guess she does. She ends up in a different place than where she began. We assume. They don't spell it out. Well, well, so somehow she finds out Marion's phone number Mm. and she like, she's like, you need people in your life, Indy. And I'm going to bring in your, your old friend who I haven't met presumably because the last time I talked to you, Indy was when I was 12 and then I'm going to bring in your ex-wife or your soon-to-be ex-wife, um, who I've never met because the last time I talked to you, I was 12 and you weren't married yet. And so, like, all these things are happening that, like, I don't know how she knows these people. I don't know how yeah. she gets in contact with them. But she's like, Indy needs people in his life. Okay, that's fair. But I will rebut that with some questions of my own. How did you know at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark that Marion uh, loved Indiana Jones? That that how did you know that she had responded to him when she was trying to keep him at arm's length at the beginning? Mm. Because they show affection. They do, right? How do you know that Short Round cares about Indiana Jones? By the end of that movie, how do you know that Indiana Jones cares about short round? Because there's affection, real affection. They embrace after he gets him out of the child slavery thing, the creepy Kali Mala cult. There's affection. Best of us. Yeah. How do you know that Indiana Jones and his dad have reconciled at the end of last crusade? There's real emotion. There's real, that whole, we talked about the whole climactic scene. His dad calls him by his, his, his the name he's chosen where he chooses to say Indiana let it go and he offers his hand he's like hey take my hand I'm your dad and they have witty banter at the end but it's clear they love each other right that they've reconciled this place there's nothing between Phoebe's character other than the actions but there's no indication she does a smirk (laughs) that she would actually care about him Nothing has really changed, and that's the problem is, is her character has no real arc. That's the problem. If that's the problem of doing story with one hand and franchise building with the other hand, is if you if the most important thing was to set up the franchise for her, then make the movie about her. Indiana Jones is a side character, make the movie about her, and you better darn well make sure she has an arc. Yes. That, that endears us her to us. So a good trilogy, the Nolan trilogy. Like, each movie concludes, and that's the end of it. Like, you don't really get that, oh, there's something big and bad looming uh, that will launch into the next one. It's its own individual piece. Same with Indiana Jones. Like, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It ends. You don't know there's going to be another one. It, yeah. It concludes. Right. And so, like, if you're 
purposely like so with indie with batman i mean there's going to be adventures that happen off screen and adventures that can happen on screen and so the story can pick up somewhere down the road uh but like doing introducing a character but then not doing really any good things to build up that character which they did the same thing with mutt um they they waste good memories and legacy of your previous works by trying to launch these two and then they did nothing with Shia and then they like so everyone not named Miss Kennedy has said this could realistically just be the end yeah. And she's like, well, never say never. I'm hopeful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this should be over. Should have been over Last Crusade. And like I said, this movie's better than Kingdom of Crystal School, but I don't think it matters. But that's a good segue into my last thing. The last of my three things. The Battle of Syracuse. Yeah. Into whatever BC. We're taking over New York. Not that Syracuse, kids. Oh, my goodness. The whole time leading up to it, they're in the plane. They're heading for this rift. I'm like, please, something happen. Please do not let them time travel. Don't do this. Then they time travel, and they're flying above what immediately you know is the past. Well, you knew Mads Mickelson had to go back. The ancient past. And then I'm just thinking, please don't have them land. Please just have them flying over, realize they're in deep deep water and get out of there go back to the rift and go back there's, then they then they land there's no way teddy goes off flying after them without <laughs> him landing then i'm like please don't have them interact with characters from two whatever bc they just kept doing it they just keep going this this is the most ridiculous sequence of a film i think i have ever seen even by Indiana Jones standards, this is ridiculous. You've seen a dude rip out another dude's heart. Uh, but, you know, there was always something grounded about Indiana Jones adventures. The most supernatural adventure he ever should have had should have been the Holy Grail. It shows a fundamental misunderstanding by the movie companies of what we actually want. And this actually spills over to everything. Marvel falling victim to the same problem. Marvel's probably a big part of this problem. So Disney, the parent company, is the, the yeah. problem. They think that the reason we like this stories is because of the big bombasticness of it. And then it leads them to these places where we like, we've got to do go bigger. We got to do something bigger and more bombastic. Um, and that's just simply not true. Indiana Jones at its heart, they were just a story. We like the story. Put Indiana Jones a story. You already mentioned it. Don't franchise build. Just tell us a good story. And it doesn't have to be big and bombastic. Like, look, Temple of Doom, which I think is a great movie and probably I, I have at times thought Temple of Doom is the best one. Now, I know a lot of people disagree with me on that, but I like it because it's not attached to anything else. It's just a story. 
and and he's just in it. And yes, there's some supernatural things going on, but that's not the point. The point isn't the supernatural thing. And th that's the amazing thing about Last Crusade is the point is not the Holy Grail. That's the, the whole lesson of the story. But this, when they time travel, is so insane and ridiculous. They, they talk to Archimedes. Like, look, I would love to have a linguist on our show right now who can tell you that translating text is far different than having a conversation with someone from 200 B.C., can I tell you that that's ridiculous? Um, they just time traveled. <laughs> <laughs> it's so insane. It's very convenient, though, that they land before Archimedes dies. Because yeah. he dies in this battle or another battle that happened short after, shortly after because he refuses to leave the, the city because he's working. And a Roman soldier was told, don't kill this dude. And our, all the soldiers were told, don't kill this dude. And then one of them kills that dude. They fundamentally don't understand why we like Indiana Jones. They fundamentally don't understand it. At the end of all these movies, we do see, well, not Temple of Doom, really. Uh, but kind of. We see a shred of the power of the artifact he's chasing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the Ark the Germans, but it's always like from this standpoint of the people that want the power get overtaken by it. Right. Mm -hmm. So the Ark destroys the Nazis. Uh, the Shankar stones burn the hands of the bad guy. Uh, the, the, the Holy grail uh, kills the dude because he picks the wrong one. Right. Cause he doesn't understand what he's looking for in yeah. Christ, which is a whole nother podcast, by the way. Um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Alien head? Yeah, that one doesn't fit because it's a ridiculous movie. <laughs> In this one, they should have seen the rift. I'm I'm maybe even okay with them flying through it, I guess. Okay, so what I thought they were going to do was have Phoebe and uh, Indy uh, parachute out before they got sucked into the rift. Because clearly they set up that Archimedes has uh, Mads Mikkelsen's watch. Yeah. And that they do a good enough of a display of foreshadowing that, oh, this uh, picture on Archimedes' burial tomb uh, has... Uh, propellers <laughs> and it's the same propellers of the bomber they're flying in and so you knew that bomber had to fly into the past uh and that somehow mads mickelson's watch ends up at archimedes uh, you didn't need indy to go back it's sad that the best lines of this movie were all given away in the trailers because there's a couple of lines in this movie that are wonderful. One is Sala's line. I miss the desert. I miss the sea. And he talks about how each morning he misses the mornings of waking up and thinking what grand adventure lay before them. Mm. That's a great line. They spoiled it by putting it in every trailer they put out. Yep. Um, and the other one they spoiled too, which is Indiana Jones, which he when he says, I've seen things. Things 
that were unbelievable, things I can't explain. And he goes into this whole thing about like, um, I've come to find out that it's not what you believe, it's how hard you believe it that's important, right? It's this great line, and it would have worked great if they'd have just flown through the fissure, seen that they time traveled, and immediately turned that plane around somehow, like knocked out the pilot crew, took them back. Um, I guess in this way, Mads Mickelson would, would not have died. You would have had to toss his body out. But how much better would it have been for them to see something that they know they shouldn't see and, and have that arc of like, you know what? Glory's not as important as life. Mm. And they fly back through the fissure and you're left with this idea of like, oh my gosh, the dial of destiny was a real thing. The Archimedes had figured it out. And that's it. You're left with the idea that something out there like this existed that it worked, that the, and all the other movies do this. You're left with the idea that the Holy Grail existed, but that was it. Nobody went home with it. No, nobody time traveled with it. The Ark gets put in a box and is lost in a warehouse somewhere. Until Kingdom of the Crystal Skull accidentally shows it to you, but then like they do nothing with it. You're given a glimpse of the power of the artifact, and that's it. Because it's not the important part. So this whole sequence, the time travel, and then what they thought was like this emotional beat where Indiana Jones says, undoes every arc he's ever been a part of and says, I need to stay here. Any archaeologist worth his salt. That is the most insanely stupid thing I've ever heard. He's going to die there. Almost instantly. He literally has a gunshot wound. Oh, yeah. He, what's he last in there? A week? Tops? So you're supposed to believe that his life is so deprived of meaning because he's lost his son, he's losing his wife, and that let him watch the sunset over the Battle of Syracuse. Um, that, that, that's the, the, his ultimate glory. And I'm like, no, he knows that he would be altering events that (laughs) like, no, any historian that's any historian. That's not terrible would have immediately been like, we have to get out of here. Yeah. Have him fly back through the fissure and have him turning his head back longingly to look at the battle. Like as if he's trying to take it in because he's seeing history. Have it do that. The part where he says, I'm going to stay is so out of character, so dumb, makes him a terrible historian, a terrible archaeologist. Like you, you undo every arc he's ever been through about treasuring humanity first. That is the way that Phoebe shows she cares. She gets to punch him in the face and carry him onto a plane. Yeah, that is the fan service that doesn't work. That whole sequence is wrong, in my opinion. And at that point, like when that happens, I I laughed in the theater. I just laughed and shook my head because I just kept, like I said, I was really like, don't fly through that. Please don't let them have them fly through that. Like seeing it's enough. Okay, we know it works. Something's happening here. Because fishers don't just open up in the sky. Uh, and then they fly through and I'm like, please don't have them land. Except Please don't have him interact with these characters. Fishers do if you're a Nazi. Oh, man. 
that scene really takes what I think could have been a pretty good movie and really knocked it down a couple notches for me. Okay? Oh, yeah. That was the last of my things. So those are our three things each. Who's the winner of this movie, Cody? Um, so I'm going to go with a character and an actor that left me wanting more from them because, like, if they would have done more with this character, I think would have just been amazing mm-hmm. and would have elevated the movie. Uh, Boyd Hallbrook played Clobber, Claber, yeah. um, the the bad guy from Logan. Mm-hmm. Um, Soon to be the bad guy in Justified City Primeval. He plays a really good bad guy. He does. Like, he has that condescending, like, smirky grin. And, like, you just know, this dude's really bad. And I like it. Give me more of that bad guy. Um, Because, like, his character was intriguing, but there were so many side characters with Mads that, like, it took away from Mads and took away from uh, Boyd. Like, Seanette Renee Wilson's character, Mason, could have been another great character, but, again, they have her, like, in and out of a bunch of scenes, and then they kill her, and then you have this giant behemoth of a man, and I'm like, I don't know why we have him, but... So I'm going to go with Boyd just because, like, even in limited time of speaking, he displayed his acting range. So Yeah, he's a great vi- – I think he's a great future villain. I think we're going to see in Justified City Primeval that that's going to get backed up. I thought he was good, too. I don't disagree with that choice. For me, the winner of the movie is Harrison Ford, not how you think. Harrison Ford's always been cynical to the Hollywood machine. Uh, actually disdainful disdainful at times of Star Wars fandom. Thank you. Just doesn't like any of it. And he's the winner of this movie because he never has to do this again. This is done. You you can go now. You never have to do Indiana Jones again, and he's probably happy about that. And the fact that he's gone along with promoting this movie uh, is amazing to me because I I would love – if if I actually knew Harrison Ford and, and had a relationship or was friends with him and knew his real thoughts about this, he can't be down with this, right? He probably is thinking it's better than the last one. At least some people will have fond memories of it. And I got paid. Yeah. To me, the real end of this franchise was him. Henry Jones Sr., uh, the dude from the museum and Sala riding off into the sunset. That will always be the true end of this franchise for me. This movie doesn't change that. Who's your loser of the movie? Um, it, this is upon, this can be revisited. Mm-hmm. So it's between Harrison Ford. <laughs> And Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. So if Kathleen keeps a job after this, because this movie's trending in a not so great box oh, office direction. Yeah, it looks like it could be a bigger bomb than The Flash, which would be huge. Um, then, like, if she keeps a job, then that's a miracle, and she should be thankful. Mm-hmm. She so, could be the winner. So, yeah. Um, 
so if she does keep her job, then it's the guy that plays hair that plays Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford, because yeah. again, he did these two movies, and I get why you would do uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You brought back Steven Spielberg, who usually doesn't lay big eggs; he just makes great franchises, mm-hmm. um, and so you're like. I'll do it for you, Stevie. <laughs> yeah. So, but, um, like everyone and their mom, evidently. So he didn't like Shia LaBeouf. Like he's been out and open on the record. Like this kid doesn't know what he's doing. And then Steven Spielberg's like George Lucas doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> and so, um, I, you you come back to the well trying to leave people with a fond memory, and then. Like this movie doesn't hit all the notes. It hits a few more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, look, look. I know. Um, I feel like I've been kind of negative. Which, when we get to the overall rating, I'll try to level that out a little bit. Um, Harrison Ford, if he is the loser of this movie, it couldn't happen to a better actor because he doesn't really care about fandom or mm-hmm. legacy. He's been open about those things, so he doesn't really care. He just got paid. He played a character. And Harrison Ford doesn't feel the same things you feel. And that's fine. He um, does. I, I am going to shy away from trying to predict the future. Because if I could, I might have Kathleen Kennedy as the loser of this movie. I'm going to say the loser of this movie is Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Because she was clearly the one that handpicked by Kathleen Kennedy and the company to try and continue this franchise. And she just sadly gets not much to do. Other than to have fun, she's she's kind of a fun character, but she has no emotional arc. There's nothing endearing about her in the long run. That's That was the amazing thing they did for Indiana Jones. If Indiana Jones is all just about fortune and glory, and he never embraces short round, and we don't know the, how much he loves him, then, then Indiana Jones is a pointless character too. We never get that with Helena and Teddy. Teddy is just a, a tool for her to use. Mm-hmm. We know, we don't we don't get enough of an arc to, for her for us to for her to be endearing to us. So she's the loser of this movie because by all accounts she's probably a great actress. Do you think you can fly this? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And then they go their separate ways. <laughs> she never at any point, other than one glance to the sky while they're talking to Archimedes. <laughs> she never at any point clears appears to be worried about Teddy who's flying a plane while trabuckets are being launched at her you know, by an ancient army. Like she's definitely the loser of this movie. I feel so bad for her. Um, or fans that were wanting Kihai Kwan to be the spinoff uh, indie that, that that's over. Serious, seriously, could we not have picked a better story with Kihai Kwan showing up as short round again as an adult short round? I don't know. Anyways, that's my loser of the movie. How many whips out of 10 are you giving this movie the dial of destiny? So, uh, like, I really have to, like, put the, the trilogy up on a shelf and block it out mm-hmm. and just judge this as a movie itself. Like it was a decent popcorn flick. I'll give it six. Yeah. Yeah. If kingdom of the crystal school is a three, 
<laughs> if it's bad, like I don't know that I've ever rated anything below that. Um, this movie is yeah, it's a five to six. It's it's okay. It's average. It could have been better. There are parts of it that approach the seven, seven and a half, even up to an eight range. Mm -hmm. But then you do the stupid stuff, like the the whole final sequence of this film and and of the action sequence and just some of the choices they made that were clearly about trying to build another franchise instead of just doing a good ending to this one. And you're left with this muddled mess of, of, of a five to six. Somewhere in there, which there are parts that I liked, there are parts that I hate, and yeah, that's just kind of where we're at with a lot of the franchises now. I think Hollywood needs to figure this out, though, because I think they're making the same mistake in a lot of these franchises in the same ways. Looking at you, Fast and Furious. Yeah, I don't know anything about it, but they're probably making the same mistakes, too. Like, when you take them to space, yeah, it's not about bigger and better. You still got to, they have to be grounded in their reality. At some on some level, I don't know how Luda and Tyrese make it back. I mean, it's space. There's no difference from going to space than going to the Titanic in a sub that shouldn't be there. It's the same thing. Humans aren't meant to be there, and one little problem means you're done. I, I don't know. I'm I'm feeling a bit negative, so we should just go. Um, I didn't hate this movie. I, I should say that. So I, there were parts of it that I I really liked. Having the bitter taste of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in my mouth, <laughs> I think probably seemed better. Made me a more optimistic person going into this. So I think what I need is a palate cleanser because I didn't do that. I'm never watching Kingdom of the Crystal Skull again. <laughs> so I've watched it the one time, and that was it. I will. I, I need to palate cleanse and go back and watch the original three Indiana Jones movies, and then I think I'll feel better. They're on Disney Plus. Yeah. What did you guys think of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Honestly, I think it's going to be all over the place because it's such kind of a muddled thing. I think there's going to be people who like it. I think there's going to be people who don't like it, and everything in between. That's what I think. Mm. And maybe that's our lot in life right now. Uh, nerddom's really going through a tough time. So, honestly, I think that companies are overspending. Oh, yeah. This like, movie's going to lose lots of money. Like, if you had a responsible budget, then these films that are like, oh, this is trash. It'll never make back its money. I think you could view it in a more realistic sense and be like, that was an okay movie. And it... It made money. It didn't make Buku's bucks, but when you spend like $350 million to make this, like you really have to hit a, a grand slam yeah. for it to work out. Where, like, if it's just a good movie, it's going to look like a failure, even though ah, it was good. Unfortunately, this movie was never going to be a grand slam because it's not a good enough idea. You have to have a better idea. I think the digital stuff, all of that doesn't work. I said earlier, and I believe this, I think if the movie was entirely set in 1969, where it was just old indie, I think it would have been better. I think it would have, just tell me an Indiana Jones story. I don't need, I don't need young digital Indiana Jones. And literally, 
it's not far fetched to have a Nazi working on the um, space program because I, we did it. I mean, James Mangold did that already with Wolverine. Mm-hmm. He gave us an old man Wolverine story. Loved that one, and and he did it great. And so him of all people, I, I wonder if he looks at these sequences where it's all digital young guy, and you just like, why? Why do we do this? You can tell a narrative without doing this. So I don't know. Swamp thing. He's making it. I feel stronger about it because I love Indiana Jones so much. It's such a part of my childhood um, growing up with those three movies. And then they've did a terrible job with King of the Crystal Skull. And then I don't really know where to come out on this one because what I think is they probably made a better movie than King of the Crystal Skull. But there's still some parts of it, some parts of the, the, the formula that I feel like they're just not understanding. And that's where we're at with fandom, a lot of these fandoms. So what did you think about the movie? Let us know on the social media posts for this pod. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the pod. Give us a good review. That always helps too. And make sure and follow our social media stuff and then share the posts with your uh, friends on your news feed. Tell them why you like the pod. Uh, that helps as well because we want to grow the community. We want to keep getting bigger, keep doing new things. Yeah, all of that. Uh, We love you guys. Thank you so much for supporting us and listening to us. And we will see you next time.